ask you a question as we jump in into the last week in this series entitled Emoji Life. We've been talking about dealing with the emotions that we deal with. And so today I want to ask you this question. How many people in this room have ever been caught before? Have ever been caught with their hand in the cookie jar, caught doing something wrong? Here's what happens. Kind of, this, this is the initial thing, right? So the heart's reaction to a wrong action is always shame. It doesn't matter what you do or who you do it to. When you do something wrong, specifically when you get caught doing something wrong, that initial reaction from the heart to a wrong action is always shame. I remember when I was uh, probably around 14, 13 years old, somewhere in there, uh, made a lot of bad decisions when I was young, but one specifically stands out because of the shame that I felt when it happened. Uh, we were hanging out at this, uh, with a group of friends of mine. We were hanging out down, maybe about a half a mile from my house. And there was nobody at this home where we were hanging out. The kid who lived there was gone. His parents were gone. We were basically just hanging out on the patio, having a good time. Well, while we were there, I noticed that the window on the side of the, uh, on the, side of the uh, patio was open. So I can't really remember what happened. I think I dove in and got something to eat or drink. I don't know. I thought it was funny or witty. So I just dove into this window, helped myself, and left. Well, about 15 minutes later, we're walking down the road, and I see a police cruiser roll by with his lights on. Comes around the block and stops me and my group of friends and asks us, hey, were you on such and such a road a few minutes ago? And um, I, we said yes. And he said, well, which one of you broke into the house? And I said, well, I didn't break into the house. I went into the house. And apparently their definition of breaking into a house was different than my definition. So when I acknowledged I was the one who went into the house, uh, right on the spot, he handcuffed me, put me on the cruiser, read me my rights, and put me in the, black, in the back of an Akron police cruiser um, with charges of breaking and entering. All my friends scattered. So we're si- I'm sitting there in the car. Like you can imagine, like I'm 14 years old. I had some, had some mild run-ins with the law, but it's never fun. And so, you know, I'm like freaking out. And so I'm thinking I'm going to jail. Well, while he starts asking me my name, where I'm from, uh, I give him my name and my address. Well, the good news was he recognized somebody. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And here, this law officer, he had a crush on my mom in high school. So instead of taking me downtown, he chose to take me home, which I don't know about you guys, I would have rather gone downtown. So I'll never forget this. So I'm in the back of a cruiser. He takes me. I'll never forget pulling up in front of my house. There's a bunch of neighbors sitting on the front porch. And what was worst of all, not only that my neighbors see me, not only that my parents were about to kill me, but when we pulled up, I'll never forget seeing a Cadillac sitting in my driveway. My grandfather drove a Cadillac as long as I can remember. And as soon as I seen that Cadillac, I'm like, oh, no, my grandparents are there. And here this law officer gets me out of the back of the cruiser. I'm standing there in the front yard with my hands behind my back, handcuffed. And here comes my entire family out the door. I was absolutely humiliated. I mean, I was like, I just wish I wasn't saved then. But if there was a rapture, I wish it would happen then something, anything, take me to jail. But I was just utterly humiliated. But here was really the thing. I felt bad in the moment, but what was worse was that shame and that humiliation really carried over with my grandparents for a couple years. Like every time I seen them, like I felt shame, like I felt like they were disappointed in me. Like we had a great relationship up to that point. But anytime I seen them, I could feel the weight of like, I let them down. I could feel the weight of guilt and it hurt our relationship. But here's the thing that's true is not only for that situation to carry long-term that shame, there's a lot of times in my life that I have made decisions beyond just that one that I have not only felt shame, but I have carried shame, that I have wrestled with shame, that it made me feel like I was disconnected, made me feel like I was looked down on. 
And I know I'm not the only one because all of us in this room, we live life. All of us in this room, we've, ma- we've made and sometimes continue to make bad choices and we make mistakes and we fall short. And so today, as we tackle the topic of shame, I know today that there is a lot of us in this room that we have wrestled with. And we, in fact, today, many of you are carrying the weight of shame. The challenge is this, is shame, if we don't do something with it, shame has the potential and the power to choke the joy out of your life. When you walk around with your head down, when you walk around defeated, when you walk around in life and feel less than, feel like you don't measure up, feel like you don't matter because you don't, you've not met the mark, it just has the power not just to rob the joy and choke the joy out of our life, but really the power of shame is it's worse when it really diminishes our relationship with God. Nothing will make you walk away from a relationship with God more than the power of shame. So here's what I want to do today as we tackle the last message in this series, Emoji Life. I want to talk about, like, how do we deal with shame? If you guys were here last week, remember we talked about anger, right? And anger seems like such a negative emotion. But last week we found out that anger can really be a very positive thing if we can channel it the right way, that anger can be a catalyst for change. Well, the same way anger can be positive, there really is a positive angle to shame. And so what I want to do all across this room, and for those who are watching online, if you're here and you're carrying shame and guilt and humiliation, and you're wondering how to get out from underneath of it, today I want to help you with God's Word, with the help of the Holy Spirit, for you to discover, like, really how God wants you to see your life, how God wants you to manage shame when it comes your way. And so I want you to open your hearts and just trust God to speak to you. Here's a definition, or here's kind of the understanding of shame. Shame comes from consciously violating an accepted standard right? If you don't know there's anything wrong, when you do wrong, there is no wrong because you didn't know there was wrong, so there's nothing to feel bad about. If you're driving down the road and there's no speed limit, you don't feel like you're speeding. But when you look down and you're doing 65 and you see a speed limit sign that says 55, right? Automatically, you know you violated a standard. It's the same way with shame. As soon as you've done something that you know is wrong, like shame springs its head up. Your heart automatically responds. Again, the heart's first reaction to a wrong action is shame. So as soon as you violate that standard, shame shows up. Everybody in this room who's done something wrong, when you do something wrong, you don't even have to get caught. But if you get caught, come on, help me somebody. Like it magnifies the power of shame. I felt bad when the cop picked me up. I felt a lot worse when everybody else knew I did it. So again, shame comes from consciously violating an accepted standard. Here's what I want to tell you today is there is a difference. And here's where we got to get like down to the nitty gritty. There is a difference between healthy shame and unhealthy shame. There is healthy shame. Everybody shout healthy shame. Now that seems like contrary. Who wants shame? Healthy shame is this. Healthy shame is feeling shame about something that dishonors God. If you're here and you're a Christ follower, if you're here and you've given your life to Jesus, if you're here and you're committed to like follow God and to follow his word, how many people here, man, you love you some Jesus and you're committed to follow him. Then when we violate his word, when we sin, when we fall short, when we miss the mark, when we quench the Holy Spirit, when we do those things, we should feel shame, right? Shame is something that when we feel it, it's very healthy. And here's why. Because without shame, without shame, we would really miss the catalyst we need that would drive us to reconciliation with our Father right now when we do wrong and also would keep us from in the future repeating that behavior. If you never felt bad about anything you did wrong, you would just keep on doing it. But the reality that God allows us, this is so beautiful, God allows us to feel shame again. So in the midst of our shame, we want to go do something. Like, what do I do with this shame? 
and it should drive us to our Heavenly Father where we can find renewing and we can find release. And again, also it instills in us kind of this mindset like, hey, you don't want to feel that again, so don't repeat that behavior. I remember when, uh, when I'm not, I wasn't there. I don't even know if I was, I was very young. I have two older brothers, but I've heard this story over and over and over again from my mom. She shared the story that my two older brothers, when they were like four and five or five and six, certainly old enough to know better, that my mom was grocery shopping and had checked out, got out to the car, was loading the groceries up with my two older brothers, young at that time. And my mom looked down and she said, there they were just kind of freely chewing some bubble gum. And she said, the problem was I didn't give her, I didn't give them any bubble gum. So my mom said, I asked him, Hey, where did you guys get the gum? And they're like, in the store. They had the same mindset about the gum that I did the window, right? Like, is this all access? So they just reached down, grabbed them some handful of gum. And well, my mom wanted to make sure that they knew that what they did was wrong. So Unlike today's parenting, sometimes it seems like my mom put money in my, in my brother's hands, made them go back into the store, tell the cashier, we stole this gum and pay for it and make it right. Well, how many people know that my brothers never stole gum again? They did a lot of other bad stuff, but they never stole gum again. What my mom did was she leveraged the power of healthy shame to shape how my brothers dealt with what they did. So again, there is something really profound about healthy shame, but here's the challenge. We don't just deal with healthy shame. In fact, a lot of you in this room, that you that are wrestling with shame, you that feel marginalized or minimized, you that don't feel like you measure up or you're important, you that here, man, if you feel like, well, God doesn't love me, man, I've done too much, I've gone too far, probably what you're dealing with is not healthy shame. You're dealing with unhealthy shame. Here's what unhealthy shame is. Unhealthy shame is feeling shame about something that doesn't dishonor God. So healthy shame is when you feel shame about something that dishonors God. I shouldn't have done what dishonored him. Unhealthy shame is when you've not really done anything wrong as far as God's concerned. Let me give you a couple examples of what I mean by that. Here's what unhealthy shame is. Unhealthy shame is when you feel bad, you feel shamed by culture or your friends for doing the right thing. Come on, somebody. We live in a culture right now that says this. Hey, don't talk to me about politics and don't talk to me about religion. And while it's okay, I, you know, I don't really care. We can talk about Hillary and we can talk about the Donald all you want. But culture at least says this. If I will even negotiate with politics, don't talk religion. And I want you to know something today that as long as we take, again, think about the definition of shame. Shame is anytime we consciously violate accepted standards. Everybody say accepted standards. If you accept the standards of this world, you will always walk in shame because the standards of this world go contrary to the standards of Christ. This world tells us to be quiet and don't share your faith. And Jesus tells us that we need to stand up and we need to preach the gospel to the whole world. We live in a broken world full of broken people who need to find hope. And we have found the answer in who Christ is and what he's done. And we have an obligation to this world to be the light that shines as a beacon in a dark world. And so I want you to know when you don't share your, or when you share your faith, the world's going to make you feel, man, you need to be quiet. You need to be, quit being so judgmental. You need to be quit being critical. I'll find my own way. And so unhealthy shame is when you get shamed by this world for walking out your faith. Young uh, students, high school students, college students, you're watching online. I want you to know something. One of the things that this world will do is this world will shame you, right? If you're trying to maintain your purity in relationships, if you've chosen like, I'm going to be a virgin when I get married, I'm going to gift my spouse with my virginity, which is an amazing thing. In our culture, this culture will shame you into trying to do that. 
and it's backwards, it's upside down. There's no shame in promiscuity in the world, but there's shame for some reason trying to remain pure. Again, that is unhealthy shame. Everybody shout unhealthy shame. Unhealthy shame is taking cues from this world and trying to meet up their expectations. Here's another one, poor body image. Nothing, I'm just telling you in this room, ain't nobody got to wave their hands in this room, especially ladies, but guys too, we wrestle with poor body image. Like we don't, we don't like what we see in the mirror and we feel shame because we walk through checkout lines and there's size zero models that are like eat like a piece of celery a week. And they've been, their pictures have been photoshopped for four hours. They don't really look anything like that. And we feel like we got to measure up because we don't measure up. We feel shame. We feel humiliation. Come on, somebody. I know as a guy, like, right, most guys want to be six foot two. They want to weigh like 180 pounds and like have abs of steel. Okay, maybe I'm the only one that wants to have abs of steel. And I don't have abs. Well, I mean, somewhere. There's some abs of steel under there. Just trust me. Right? But we wrestle with poor, poor body image, like all the way back. I, I know like all the way when, when I was a kid, right, elementary school, um, I was never like a really big kid. I was never really the thin kid either. I was always in the middle. But remember going back into gym? For me, the, the terror of going into gym every day was two things. I used to like just think this going in. No pull-up bar, no shirts and skins. No pull-up bar, no shirts and skins. Because if it was shirts and skins, I was like, shirts, shirts, shirts. And if I got on the skins team, I got sick because I ain't taking my shirt off. Come on, anybody remember like the humiliation? I know all the rest of you, your bodies are perfect. And like you were the one everybody looked up to. But for the rest of us, like I have some, I have some mad admiration for the guy on the beach. Everybody know this guy on the beach, weighs like 350 pounds and he wears like a bikini Speedo. Like I got some mad, like that guy has no self, like there is no shame in his game. But a lot of us in this room, we wrestle because we feel like we don't measure up. We're not the right size. We're not the right height. Our eyes, our ears, our breasts, our weight, our legs, our whatever is not the right that we think we should. And so we feel humiliation, shame, and rejection. And if you're here today and you're wrestling with a poor body image, what you feel is not a healthy shame. It is an unhealthy shame. I'll tell you about another unhealthy shame. Another unhealthy shame is when you're wrestling with a shame that's been put upon you because of something that someone else has done to you. One of the greatest struggles I've seen are young women that have gone through any kind of violent sexual thing, date rape. And if that's you, someone's taken advantage of you, someone's hurt you, and you feel the shame. And I've talked to ladies that say, I just feel dirty. I just don't feel right. I, don't. I want you to know that God doesn't want you to carry that shame. I'm sorry that you were hurt. But that pain and that shame that you carry is not from your father and it is not yours to carry. And God wants you to let that go and find peace and grace in him. That kind of shame is unhealthy shame. Let me tell you about one more kind of unhealthy shame. Again, there is a healthy shame, but an unhealthy shame is what shame that lingers. Right? Everybody shout healthy shame. So if we do something wrong, if it, like it dishonors God, it's not, it shouldn't have been what we've done. It shouldn't have, we shouldn't have done what we did or we did something that we shouldn't have did, right? Like we feel that shame. Our immediate reaction, the heart's reaction to a wrong action is shame. 
That's a good thing. But when you allow that thing to linger and you can't let it go and you can't forgive yourself and you can't get beyond, all of a sudden that will turn from healthy shame into unhealthy shame and it will bind you up. And there are people in this room and you've got poor body image or you're wrestling with something that someone did to you or you feel like you've messed up and you've gone too far. And I want you to know something today that your life is being choked out of you and your relationship with God is being diminished, not because you're carrying a good shame, but you're carrying an unhealthy shame. And today my heart's cry is that God will show up and pull that unhealthy shame from you and you'll walk out of this place free because God doesn't want you weighted with unhealthy shame. I want to check out Genesis chapter three. The Bible tells us about shame. In fact, I've mentioned this before, but anytime you want to study a topic in scripture, there's something called the law of first mention. The law of first mention is to kind of get a good idea of a particular subject. Typically, if you look at the first place it's mentioned, it'll set you on a good path to study it. So the first time that shame is mentioned in scripture, it's mentioned all the way back with Adam and Eve, right? So Adam and Eve, God created everything, created everything perfect, made an incredible Adam. I'm sure he was six foot two, 180 uh, abs of steel, created, the Bible says, a helpmate for him. And once that helpmate was made, Adam and Eve were there. And the Bible says this, that God said, listen, hey, it's all yours. Like the mindset of this world is that God's up there just with a bunch of rules trying to wreck our life. I want you to know that God wants good for you. God has good plans for you. And so he looked at Adam and Eve. He said, hey, it's all yours. It's all yours to enjoy. God had one rule. He said, you can eat of anything here. Just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know the story that there was Adam and Eve with one rule and in entered the tempter, in entered Satan that came as a snake and deceived Adam and Eve. And the Bible says there they were, that Eve ate first and then Adam ate. And here's what the Bible says. Immediately when they disobeyed God, immediately when they dishonored God, watch what happens. Read it with me. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So it's like all of a sudden they looked and when the Bible says their eyes were open, it's not that they were blind before, but they didn't realize how good they had it. And when they dishonored God and shame came, see, there's nothing wrong with the shame. This is healthy shame. They dishonored God. And when you dishonor God, having that shame is a good way, again, to get you back in God's lane. God doesn't want you to feel shame to hurt you. God, because his plans for us is good, again, he leverages shame to get us away from things that hurt us, away from the life that he has for us, and back on the path that leads to his blessing. And so the shame that they felt was good, but when their eyes were open, it means all of a sudden they're like, they realize, what did I do? Like, what decision did I make? Man, I, I broke a perfect relationship with God. I've destroyed a paradise. All of a sudden they realize the ramification of their decisions. See, I want you to know that if you felt the shame of your decision before you made the decision, you probably wouldn't make the decision. But unfortunately, that pain follows the decision. That's what this is. Shame is internal pain at a decision that you made. And it goes on and says this, so they sewed fig leaves together. It's like original fruit of the loom right here. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. Here's what I know about shame is a lot of times shame will try to cover shame with inadequate means. Have you ever seen somebody maybe on TV or watching the news and people walk out of a courthouse, they've just been found guilty? And what do they do? Nobody stands, well, I mean, like, unless they're like psycho. Most people, they try to put their head down. They try to cover their head. They try to throw a, something over it. Do you know why? Because they feel the eyes of the world on them. That's what Adam and Eve felt, man. They felt like 
all of a sudden they could see each other in a way they didn't before. They knew that God could see them in a way. Man, they felt the weight of that shame. It was a healthy shame, but here's the challenge, and this is what I want you to see because this is the craziest part. This next verse, watch this, verse 8. And when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, and the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, read it with me, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Like it was the worst thing they could do because here's what shame does. Again, healthy shame. Healthy shame should drive you to reconciliation now to keep you from repeating that behavior in the future. And one of the worst things, and I, and I see it all the time, and maybe today this is you, that, man, you know you've messed up. Man, maybe you, maybe you were, uh, maybe you were uh, not true to your spouse. Maybe you've cheated on your spouse. Maybe you made a bad decision at work. Maybe there was an indiscretion in your business. Whatever it was, whatever you've got caught doing, here's what I know is a lot of times people feel like they've messed up too far, so I'm not going to go to church anymore. Like once I work it out, then I'll go back to church, but there's no way God will hear me now. There's no way God loves me now. A lot of times I see people when they're wrestling with the power of shame, especially when it's become unhealthy shame, they just think, man, I'm just not going to pray anymore because, man, there's no way God loves me anymore. And I want you to know something, that this is the worst thing that you can do. When you do something that dishonors God, the enemy wants you to run from the only one who can heal you, forgive you, and reconcile you. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. Instead of going out to God and finding forgiveness, they ran from God as if God somehow didn't know. I remember when I was, uh, again, about 14 years old, I got my ear pierced for the first time and the only time. And I was like back in the day before it was really cool to pierce your ear. And I did it like the man's way. I didn't go to the piercing pagoda. I didn't go to like, there wasn't like a licensed technician. Like my licensed technician was a friend of mine with a rusty needle and an ice cube. That's what I'm talking about. And I'll never forget sitting down and he pierced my ear. And the earring I put in, the earring was cooler than the piercing itself because I was a big Kiss fan back in the day. I'm still a big Kiss fan. I'm going to be honest. I'm all about some Kiss. Makeup and unmakeup. And it was, uh, right? Anybody here some Kiss fan? I want to rock and roll all night. Come on, sing it. And party every day. I couldn't get first service to do it. Thanks for a couple of you jumping in there. So, like, I didn't just wear, like, a little diamond stud. I didn't wear a big diamond stud. I wore, like, what Paul Stanley wore, which is a big dangly gold cross, and it was off the chain. And <laughs> so, but here's the thing, because I couldn't wear it. It was at the time, this, in, when I grew up, you couldn't wear them in school. Guys couldn't wear earrings. But because I wanted my ears pierced, so in the morning, right, when I would leave home, I would put my earring on so I would have it on the bus, so I looked cool. And then when I got to school, I would take it out, and then after school, I would put it in. And then when I got home, I would take it out. So you can imagine taking an earring in and out that many times when it's a fresh pierce. Like my ear was this big, swollen, red, and pus coming out of it. I mean, but it looked cool. Take my word for it. In fact, I might have to find it and wear it again. Just... But here was the thing. I'll never forget this. So, you know, anytime I would go home, I would make sure I took this earring out so my mom and dad didn't really know. And this one day I walked in and just kind of jumped into a conversation with my mom and dad. And all of a sudden my mom's like, Stephen, which you always know it's bad when you use her whole first name, Stephen, what's that in your ear? And like immediately I'm like, and I didn't know what to do. So I ran out of the room. I went and like, I just ran out of the room. <laughs> like just, <laughs> I ran to the kitchen, like, give me time to think. I hid. Here's what, <laughs> someone caught me after service. They're like, pastor, we love when you tell the stories about your childhood. And I figured out why. It's because all of a sudden, all of you probably like your children much more now that you hear my story. Like, my kid ain't that bad. Like, I mean, I'll take a couple C's, maybe even a D. Just don't break into houses and pierce your ear. 
But here's the thing. I want you guys to hear this. The power, this is so, this is so cool. The power of shame is predicated on the assumption of rejection. This is so good. If you didn't believe, or if, if we continue to believe that, like, God's going to reject me, like, I've messed up, then shame gets heavier and heavier and heavier. Like, man, I've messed up. My discretion's too big. I've gone too far. If you believe that God will reject you because you've fallen short, then the weight of shame will crush you. But what I want you to know is that's where it gets its power from. But what if we believed? What if today we really believe the gospel? What if we really believe, like not churchy, not like Sunday school, but what if you really believe that there is a God who in spite of all of your mistakes, in spite of everything you've done wrong, what if you really believe that God isn't going to reject you because you've messed up, but in spite of your mess ups, God accepts you, who you are, where you are, in light of everything you've done? What if that's true? then all of a sudden the power of shame is broken because God doesn't want you to carry the shame that separates you from him. God wants the shame that we carry to drive us to him. That's what God wants out of the shame we feel. And so, but here's the thing is, so if all we had to do in dealing with shame, like if it was just between us and God, it would still be tangled sometimes because we're open to unhealthy shame. Unfortunately, what makes this shame go to a whole nother level is that we have a third-person instigator in it. <laughs> when I talk about the third-person instigator, I'm talking about the devil himself. If you follow Scripture, here's what we know about this person who is our spiritual enemy. Here's what we know about him. We know that the Bible calls him the tempter. In fact, the Bible says when Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, when he went into the wilderness to pray for 40, fast and pray for 40 days to ignite and initiate his ministry, the Bible says he went in to be tempted by the devil. The Bible calls, in fact, the devil the tempter. Like, that's what he does. Everybody in this room, we have been tempted by the devil. But do you know another name the devil has? It's not just the devil, not just Lucifer, but one of his titles is Satan. And the title Satan, it actually means the accuser. This is so important. Which means the devil, he's not just really good at bringing temptation. The devil is even better at bringing condemnation. He's not just good at tempting us to do something wrong. He's really good at convincing us that we can never be right again. That if you messed up, God's done with you. If you've fallen short, like you're no good anymore. Like if you've, if you've had this indiscretion, if you've made this decision, like God's like, I'm going to find somebody else. And the devil is so good at getting in our ear and convincing us of our condemnation, convincing us. He is, he is the accuser that believe, or gets us to believe the lie that God's rejected us. And man, I'm telling you, I don't know about you guys, but has anybody here ever felt that condemnation? Anybody here ever believed like God doesn't love me anymore? Come on, help me somebody. Have you ever heard that? Like God doesn't love me anymore. I've gone too far. I want you to know when you hear that voice in your heart, I want you to know the source of it is right here. It's the accuser. In fact, the Bible says it this way in, in Revelations. Listen to this. It says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Read it with me. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth and the one who accuses them before our God, notice this, say it, day and... You know what that means? What he does, he does it all the time. He is relentless at trying to get in your ear and get in my ear. You're a screw up. You've done it too much. God doesn't love you anymore. Like, 
I know I'm not the only one, but I think most of us, if not all of us, have that thing in our life that we struggle with a lot. And I'm never going to do it again. And I did it, but I'm never going to do it again. I did it again, but I'm never going to do it. And like 10,000 times later, we're still saying, I'm never going to do that again. Is there anybody here? Come on, help me. And when that happens, the enemy's like, you went too far. Now you're done. God's done with you. God's grace will never extend to the place of your sin. And I want you to know that that is a lie. That is the voice of the accuser who's lying to us. And he is really great at what he does. But let me tell you about the counterpart of the voice that all of us should experience as Christ followers. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 16, which if you guys have been here through this series, I've been encouraging you to read John 14, 15, and 16. Great scripture. It's when Jesus is talking to his disciples at the end of his ministry. And he's telling them, hey guys, listen, man, I'm out of here. We've had a, we've had a great run, right guys? I mean, he's high-fiving them. He's like, I've done miracles. Man, you've done miracles. Like I've done great things. I sent you out and you did great things. We've preached the kingdom, but he's like, it's coming to a head. Because I didn't come here to work miracles and I didn't come here just to teach. I came to lay down my life a ransom for many. So Jesus is telling his disciples, like, time's almost up. I'm getting ready to go die. And when I'm dead, I'm going to resurrect and I'm going back to heaven. But then he makes this promise in 14, 15, and 16 over and over again. He says, hey, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you orphans. But the Holy Spirit of God is going to live on the inside of you. He's going to be with you and in you. And so in the context of that conversation, this is what Jesus says. He repeats it right here. Read it with me. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the, come on, shout that, the advocate won't come. And if I do go away, then I will send him to you. Who he's talking about, when he uses this title, this term, the advocate, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you why this is so important. This is so huge. This word advocate, what it literally means is one who comes alongside that we need someone in our spiritual journey. We need someone in our life. We need from time to time someone to come alongside of us. And Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the advocate to come alongside of you. But here's the thing. This word, there's a lot of debate about what it really means. Like, what did Jesus mean? And a lot of people have settled on one of the things that Jesus meant, that this term, a parakletos, that's the Greek word, that what it meant was kind of like a legal advice, a legal counsel, that if you got in trouble, this is who you would call. And Jesus is saying, I know that you have an accuser that's telling you one thing, but he says, I've got an advocate that's going to tell you something else. And this is what the advocate's going to tell us. Watch, this is beautiful, watch. And when he comes, come on, say it with me, he will convict the world of... Sin, if you dishonor God, that's where shame comes from. That is the conviction of the Holy Spirit and God's righteousness and the coming judgment. Hang tight. Read it again. When the Holy Spirit comes, when the advocate comes, what he's going to speak to us is, again, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Keep going. The world's sin is that we refuse to believe, they refuse to believe in me. Righteousness, come on, this is good. Righteousness is available because I go to the father and you will see me no more. He says, because I came and I laid down my life and I died on the cross. Now righteousness is available. And the last part, judgment will come because the ruler of this world, Satan has already been judged. Here's what I want you to know today is that all of us in this room, like we, we've seen the commercials and we've seen the movies 
like where there's like an angel and a devil on each, each shoulder. That's what this is. We have an accuser on one side on our shoulder who's telling us how wrong we are, how little we're loved, how we're rejection and an outcast and we're humiliated. But I want you to know that we have an advocate. We have someone from the Father who is not convincing us how messed up we are. There, his job is to convince us that there is righteousness available, that we are right in God's eyes because of Christ. Come on, guys. What I want you to know is that those two voices, while sometimes they are competing and sometimes we wrestle to hear them clearly, that there is one voice that's a liar and that there is one voice that's truth. And why the devil, he is there to accuse me. And I'm telling you, I have given him lots of evidence. And he can point to things I've said and things I've thought and things I've done. And I have every right to believe him that, man, I am low down, dirty scum, that I've hurt people and I've hurt myself and I've hurt family and I've had wicked thoughts and I've lusted and I've had, uh, I've had bigotry in my heart and I've had anger in my life and impatience and the list could go on and on and on. And the devil, the accuser comes and brings all of that. And he says, you have a right to be accused. But I want you to know today that we don't only have an accuser speaking to us, we have an advocate. And the advocate says, I only have one piece of evidence for your defense. And I'm like, God, it better be good. And when he rolls it out, he says, only this one piece, it's the cross of Calvary. It is the cross that Jesus died on that because he died for me, I have the righteousness of God in my life. And it outweighs all the things that I have ever done wrong or ever will do wrong. So, so I want you to know something. If you're here and you're carrying shame, if you feel the weight of it defeating you, you feel the heaviness of it trying to keep you from a relationship with God, that that is the accuser. But when you bend your ear to the advocate, he'll pull you in. And you will feel shame when you do something that dishonors God. But the advocate is there to convince you. He is there to convict you that there is a righteousness to be found in God, that there is a right standing, that there is a forgiveness that's available that will wash away your sin. Here's what I want, as you think about that, is that, that, that Satan, he ultimately knows you by your sin. But God, he knows you by his son. See, man, this, Satan, he knows all of our dirty deeds. He does. And that's all he relates to us is what we've done wrong. And that's all he talks about. But when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin and your mistakes and your shortcomings. In fact, the Bible says, for God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, what God sees when he looks at you is not your mess, your mistakes, the things that shame you and humiliate you and make you feel guilty. What God sees when he looks at you is he sees the righteousness of his son Jesus imputed to you, given to you to cover you. And so we have to decide, like, what voice are we listening to? What voice are we hearing? And if you're underneath the weight of shame you're probably listening to the accuser. And while shame is a good thing, because if you're here and like you're making bad decisions, someone needs to be in your ear to push you to the forgiveness of the Father, to move you by shame, healthy shame. That with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can live a different life. I want to share just one more story with you. It's found, it's, it's really a profound story. It's one that, I'll be honest, like a lot of times for me, man, when I read the Bible, like I try to really picture like what happened. And this is one of those stories like I can read it and I can study it and I can read commentaries on it. But like, I don't know really what it was like because it's so wild. But here's the story. The Bible says that there's this woman and the Bible describes her as a sinful woman. Now, there's a lot of people that have already made the decision that she was a prostitute. 
And I don't know what she was. Maybe she was a prostitute. What she was. I'm glad that the Bible just says she was sinful because that could be me too. And the Bible says this sinful woman that she's at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is eating dinner. And while he's eating dinner, he's eating with the Pharisees. And this woman is there at his feet. And it's almost weird. It's like she doesn't fit in the picture. It's like she doesn't fit in the story. But she is doing the most profound thing in the story. She is at the feet of Jesus and she's taken costly perfume and she's broken it open and she's wiping it on the feet of Jesus. And you say, why would she do that? Because she was so, so in, 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 admired by Jesus. She was so blown away by who he was, so, so moved by his grace and so moved by the things that he had done that she was at the feet of her Messiah in worship. And everybody, all of the religious teachers are murmuring about the shame that she should have had. Jesus, do you know who that is touching you? How could you let such a sinful woman get near you? How could you let her touch you? And in the middle of this, can you imagine what she felt like? She felt like probably some of the way that you feel. When people are in your ear reminding you of your past and what you've done and reminding me that I don't fit and I'm not good enough and I need to do better. All of the weight and the humiliation and the shame that she felt in that moment by all the voices around the room. And then one voice broke out from the multitude of voices and said this. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. See, here's what's crazy is, man, in the American church, we've heard this a million times and it means almost nothing. But to a woman who had a lifestyle of shame that everybody looked down on, to get acceptance from one person and the one person that really mattered. Like, I, I'm just telling you, like, I, I hate to say it, but like, sometimes I value your opinion too much. And I value the opinion of this world sometimes too much. But in the midst of all of it, I got to wipe it all away and say, at the end of the day, the only opinion that matters is if I honored God or dishonored God. Do I have his acceptance? And when Jesus looked at this woman and said, your sins are forgiven, in that moment, she had the acceptance that she longed for. And here's the crazy thing, is, and you can read it in the story later. Look it up. As soon as Jesus forgave her, all the voices started murmuring, well, who is he? Who does he think he is to forgive her sin? And she felt like her sin was so big that, that maybe God couldn't forgive it. And all of a sudden, it's like she went from being in shame to maybe finding like some room in her heart, and all of a sudden, she's back in like the way to shame because everybody's doubting that she can be forgiven. And then this verse says, come on, every voice. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What he was saying was, I want you to walk out of this room and the only voice I want you to remember is mine. Don't hear the voice of your accusers. Don't hear the voice of the enemy. Don't hear all the things reminding you of your past and pulling you down in shame. The only thing I want you to know, church, I want you to hear is, if God, like, would you, if you would really hear his heart today, what he wants you to know is that you have been covered in the righteousness of Jesus. And so Paul, he brings the climax to Romans chapter eight, verse one, as I close. It's a beautiful scripture. It's one that all of us need to hear because we all do wrong. And again, right, the heart's reaction to a wrong action is always shame. So in the midst of us making bad decisions and doing things, like we're always going to be funneling shame. Every one of you, this week you're going to deal with shame. I'm just telling you. Next week you're going to deal with shame. The question is, is it healthy or unhealthy? And when it's unhealthy, you got to come back to this one thing. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Everybody say those two words. No 
condemnation. Come on, say it. No condemnation. Come on, if you're here and you wrestle or struggle with shame, I want you to shout that today. Come on, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You say, how can that be? Because remember all the way back in Genesis, remember when, when shame first showed up? Remember what happened? They felt shame because they were naked. Like their nakedness was a way of acknowledging the shame that they felt. Fast forward to the time that Jesus was on the cross of Calvary. See, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus, according to Isaiah chapter 53, 53, that he was a suffering servant that carried the sins of the world. That he was there as the propitiation. He was there as the substitute and the sacrifice for God's wrath that would have been poured out on us, but it was poured out on Jesus instead. And in that moment, the Bible makes it clear that he carried our transgressions. That because Jesus carried your sin, you don't have to carry it. Come on, somebody. And because, listen, the Bible says his body was broken for us. The reason Jesus was beaten and whipped, do you know why? His body was broken so ours could be made whole. But here's the beautiful thing. He didn't just carry our sin and he didn't just carry our sickness. Do you know what Jesus, do you know what he looked like? Do you know what he was wearing on the cross that day? The Bible tells us that just before he was hung on the cross, that Roman soldiers, they gambled for his garment. Which means when Jesus was hung on the cross of Calvary, he was absolutely naked before the world. Can you imagine the shame and humiliation of that moment? You say, why would that happen? Do you know why? Because the same way Jesus carried our sin and the same way he carried our sickness, so you don't have to. Jesus said, I don't want you to carry shame. I'll carry it for you. And in that one moment in time, God stood up and took all of the stuff on your shoulders and put it on him. And he took the righteousness that was his and he gave it to you. So, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And so I want to pray for you today. That if this is you, this is your heart, this is your battle, that if you're in the middle of the shame game, I want you to know today that grace covers the gap of guilt. It closes the hole of humiliation. It's powerful. So, Father, I thank you today. That God, even though that shame is a part of our life, God, daily, weekly, Lord, I thank you that, God, you use it. You leverage it to draw us back to you. God, you leverage the pain of shame. God, to keep us in the right lane. God, to keep us following you. But, Lord, I know there's a lot of people in this room, including myself, that, God, at times we've wrestled with unhealthy shame. And, Father, we, we don't know how to get out from underneath of it. And, God, it's, it's choking the life out of us. And, God, it's hurting our relationship with others and ultimately with you. And so, Father, I pray every person here, every person watching online, that God is being broken by the weight of shame. That, God, they would hear those words. No condemnation. No condemnation. That if you will give your sin to Christ, he will give you his grace in return.